Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome into a new edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz here with you. And it appears spring is actually springing in State College. So good signs. We got 60 degrees on the forecast. Moving on from winter and a sure sign uh, that we are on our way to the spring stage of the year is the NFL draft coming toward the end of April. We got to enjoy that last weekend. I don't know about our listeners, but Sean, to me, it was nice to just sit down and watch some kind of sports event where you didn't know how it was going to end. And it was a bit of a wild ride. And we saw that here locally with Yitor Gross Matos, you know, following along with those last few picks, as we mentioned on Friday's episode, not seeing him go off the board in round one, but very quickly going on Friday evening. And there's, you know, the, the, the unknown facet of this whole experience is what we love about sports. And we just haven't had, uh, been able to scratch, you know, scratch that itch for what, seven weeks now. So I don't know about you, but, I didn't watch the entire thing, but whenever I did peek in and even just following along on Twitter, seeing the names end up in different landing spots, Penn State guys and otherwise, it was pretty refreshing compared to where we've been as a nation. It was, an, it was a nice piece of nostalgia there for us. Uh, every time a, a player got picked that, you know, maybe we, we'd interacted with or, you know, just uh, anybody that, that Penn State's come across on their schedule or even a Penn State player, obviously, it was it was pretty great. So, uh, no, I agree with you. It was, it was great to have the unknown. Uh, speaking of unknown, we actually did fairly well on our mock draft. We'll, we'll get to that in a while. It didn't take long for you st- to get to, did it? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to pass this up here. It's the second year in a row I won. I didn't bet any beer on it this year. But, uh, you know, we, we, we got it done. And, you know, I won as as we've come to expect here. Yes, it was very impressive victory for Sean. We were all waiting to see if uh, Nick Bowers would go off the board in round seven. Sean and Mark both had Bowers uh, coming off the board that round. Didn't happen. So I got penalized a little bit, but not enough. I think I was four or five points shy of you, which is just essentially four or five combined selections. So pretty good showing for, for you, myself, and Mark. It, what doomed Mark there, and I, I think he would have won otherwise, we both had Robert Windsor coming off the board as a draft pick. He ultimately went round six to the Colts, as we'll get to in a little bit. Mark had him going undrafted, and that was not the right call. Um, what I'm getting at is I'm the only one who was five for five on guys who actually got drafted. So uh, I'm going to take my second place trophy and just with that little caveat and, and try to get better next year and, and maybe, maybe go beyond you. And I think next year is going to be pretty eventful. We're going to talk about that. The early outlook for the 2021 NFL draft looks pretty good for Penn State. Um, of course, we know a lot can change over the course of a year, stock up, stock down kind of stuff. But we're going to talk about some of these early mock drafts because that is part of this tradition as well with draft weekend. Monday morning shows up and all of a sudden you've got all these different uh, 2021 projections to look through. So we'll look at that in a moment. But first, let's get started on, on our rundown of the 2020 NFL draft. And as expected, Yitor Grossmanos was the first guy off the board following three years playing defensive end at Penn State. 
about back in 2017, the only lineman on either side of the ball to burn a red shirt, stepped up as a starter as a sophomore, and by the time he was done with his uh, two years as a starter, uh, tied for 10th all-time in sacks in program history, and 11th all-time in tackles for loss. And Sean, he ends up going to the Carolina Panthers, where Matt Rule, a former Penn State player himself, uh, putting together his first draft class, he gives Yitor the call with uh, pick 36 in round two, 38th overall. So didn't have to wait long into round five, but I'm sure you know going to bed Thursday night, waking up and having that entire day ahead of him was a bit anxious and nerve wracking for Yuto Gross Matos. But he ends up with a, a really impressive duo there in Carolina. They put him with Derek Brown, the first round pick out of Auburn, and uh, those two together. That that's that's quite a tandem that that Carolina is going to be building toward the future with the new coaching staff. I think I read that Carolina went all defense with their draft. I think they yeah. had seven picks and went all defense. So that's, you know, that's it's a not a great sign for the defense he's walking into. But at the same time, I mean, you, you can get some talent uh, infusion there. I love Derek Brown. I love that pick as well. Um, I don't think they were, I think they were shocked that he was there in the first round. I think they were probably pretty surprised that Gross Matos was there in the second round. So uh, they'll take it. Matty Rule getting, uh, getting that state college Penn State connection going. And, and, and now it's good to see for Yeter. Of course, we mentioned that, that Sean Spencer and the Giants were picking early in round two. Don't know how much pull Sean Spencer has as a first year assistant coach, but, uh, you know, still a pretty good landing spot. Uh, you know, I, I like that uh, he's not far from his parents, too. He can go, they can go down and watch him. So, pretty cool landing spot for, for Yitor. Uh, not in the first round, but, uh, hey, that's, uh, that's life. Um, he's going to have to live with being a second round pick. I think he'll be okay with that. But, uh, good landing spot there. I don't know how good the, the Panthers are going to be this year, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think he's a guy that's going to end up getting to the quarterback in the NFL. Uh, if you told me, eight picks between he and KJ Hamler. I'm not sure I would have believed you at that point, but uh, there there went Hamler at number 46 overall, the 14th pick in the second round to the Denver Broncos, who also drafted a wide receiver in the first round. So they're, you know, kind of taking a Madden approach to it, just adding the uh, the top receivers, the fastest guys that you can, uh, Jerry Judy in the first round and, and Hamler in the second. They seem genuinely excited to have Hamler. I think that that's a guy that they targeted. Uh, John Elway said... Uh, I think I read that John Elway said that they were watching him all the way through the second round. Love that speed. They timed him as a 393 on a running 40 in that, uh, I think it was the Michigan kick return. They got called back. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of speed on the inside. He's going to go out there. Uh, Cortland Sutton, Judy, Deshaun Hamilton, and now KJ Hamler. I think it's a, it's a good fit. I'm excited to see if that offense can grow under Drew Locke. Drew Locke cannot complain about anything. This is a team that went out and signed Melvin Gordon from the Chargers. They've they've really assembled a heck of a receiver group that he can grow up with. And you mentioned Deshaun Hamilton in year three. He's one of the older guys in that unit, the all-time leading receptions uh, uh, leader at, at Penn State. Uh, now he joins K.J. Hamler, who was redshirting when, when he was breaking that record. Uh, and Jerry Judy throwing that mix, as you mentioned. So a, a lot of competition for Hamler. Um, and, and John Elway made it a point to mention they certainly do evaluate him as a potential impact player, as a punt returner as a kick returner no surprise there that's part of the appeal with KJ Hamler and you know you hear a lot of the analysts in the aftermath of this pick and even leading up to the draft and what KJ Hamler is you know kind of that satellite player who you you know you just look to get the ball to in space maybe close to the line of scrimmage uh, certainly not necessarily a traditional wide receiver and because of you know this is a guy that it's it's all about the game the game is now getting guys in space in the NFL and doing it as quickly as possible and with Drew Locke um, the pressure 
pressure's on because he, he's you don't want to see this this supporting cast squandered. And John Elway, let's face it, didn't take a brainiac to know that Peyton Manning had a few more good years to squeeze out of him at the end of his career. Aside from that, that has been the big issue with the Denver Broncos, and it's been a big level of scrutiny for John Elway, who's one of my all-time favorite quarterbacks, and he just can't, has not been able to find a quarterback and develop a quarterback there uh, with Denver. And if they can do that, and KJ Hamler's a part of the process, look out there. Um, going back to, to really quickly with, with Yitor and KJ coming off the board within those eight picks in the first half of the second round, um, that's pretty impressive showing for this group. You know, we talked earlier in the process, w- would they both end up in the first round? I think Mel Kuyper's initial mock draft had them going in back-to-back picks, 29 and 30. Ultimately, no pro day. That didn't help. Not running the 40-yard dash of the combine. That didn't help. A deep receiver class. That didn't help KJ Hamler. And, and ultimately, we saw AJ Epinesa at defensive end fall into the second round as well with Gross Motto. So wasn't necessarily a, a pro- prioritized position for, for a lot of teams. Teams, uh, in the 2020 draft board, but you know, one thing that is of, of note here is you know, and it stood out to me before the draft. It stands out to me now, and I think it's going to get snapped in 2021, Sean, uh, for a, a program with such a legacy on defense and a lot of guys in the NFL right now on defense. No first round picks since 2010 when Jared Odrick went to the Miami Dolphins with pick number 28, and when you go all the way back to 2010, since then Saquon Barkley, the number two pick back in 2018, is the outlier as the only first first round pick out of Penn State. We'll talk about 2021 and those possibilities and why we think that's going to change, but this is a team that is putting a lot of players into the NFL. I think it's almost at 30 since James Franklin got to campus. It's over 360 all-time, but none of the first round for an entire decade span aside from Saquon Barkley. Uh, just something to, to note there as well, and I think that will change as we see some of these top-end recruiting classes come out the other side, but uh, something that stood out to me a bit on draft weekend. Some would call it a great output. Some would not call it an elite output, if you will. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's going to change next year. But, uh, yeah, you, you, you know, if you want to look at where this team is as a whole, and obviously the results have been there for the most part, uh, you know, it kind of goes in line with what they've done. They've, they've had really, really good seasons, you know, not quite over the top. So really, really good drafts, not quite over the top outside of Saquon Barkley and that 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 one class that was that was pretty special. But uh Going back to these guys, I mean, you got to think. Uh, you got to think. Aaron Rodgers is looking at John Elway's draft and seeing them take two <laughs> receivers right away, and especially Hamler. I, I, I looked at the Packers for him, and you know, you, you play into some stereotypes about uh, you know size and cold weather and toughness and all that kind of stuff, and you know, some of that reigns true with some positions, and and I just didn't know that he was a fit with the, with the Packers, but uh, I'm sure, Rodgers would have. You know, rather had him than Jordan Love or or whatever uh, whatever else came their way, but uh, that's crazy to think about. Denver now obviously has some weapons, and it's kind of the opposite. They've got Drew Locke, so we'll see what happens with with KJ. I know they're excited. I have some buddies in Denver, pretty excited to see his highlights. Uh, he, I mean, it, it's funny because he, he, we kind of take it for granted after watching him for for just two years and. You forget, uh, you know, once he gets going, that, that that touchdown against Ohio State, the kick return that obviously got called back against Michigan, when he gets going, it's just a, there's another level of speed there that just guys don't have. And, and you know, that's, that's going to translate, I think, pretty well to the NFL. Obviously, he's got to stay healthy. He's got to avoid those direct shots that he's taken in the last couple of years. But uh, size is not the hurdle that it, you, 
excuse me, size is not the hurdle that it used to be in the NFL. So hopefully Hamler has a, a productive career, can get some stuff done, uh, you know, as sort of a Swiss army knife for the, for the Denver Broncos. When I was, when I was writing up that draft uh, story for KJ ahead of time, we, we weren't that fast of typers here at Lions 24-7. We did all this ahead of time and just waited for the team so we could plug in that information. But with KJ Hamler, it just took me back to the fact what he did in that first game, Sean, coming off of essentially two years away from live action football down by seven points against Appalachian State in front of Beaver Stadium and fielding that kickoff and having the hesitation to come out of the end zone in his first game. And he takes it out and he gets to midfield and that ends up cap- being capped by a catch in the end zone, full extension to tie the game up and send it to overtime where Penn State escapes it and wins and and avoids a, a massive upset in its first game of the season in 2018. And from there on out, it was like, you know, I know Journey Brown had a heck of a run here. Pat Fryer must have been a force, but he was the guy who immediately stepped into the role as, you know, who can make something happen on any play, who can change the game, the complexion on any play. Saquon Barkley's gone and certainly not to the degree of Saquon, but KJ Handler immediately had to fill that void and the wide receiver group around him never really emerged. Uh, and the passing game around him often struggled. So he's a guy that, you know, you take him out of the equation the last couple of years, you just wonder what this offense would have looked like. And, you know, he, he came through in a big way, a guy that, uh, you know, we talked about this uh, texting back and forth, you know, Steve Wolfong, um, you, myself, you know, we saw him in camp action. He was really an impressive kid. Size was always going to be the issue there. Didn't help him not to be around for his senior year with that injury. Didn't help him uh, to be kind of relegated as a you know slot guy and not getting the higher rating. But he lived up to and exceeded any kind of expectations. He was a guy in my mind when you look at the 2017 class coming onto campus that that I thought. Uh, you know, was going to make the immediate impact. It didn't happen because of that knee injury. Um, but, you know, it was remarkable from game one to, to his final contest in the Cotton Bowl. You know, he was the guy that when the when the ball got in his hands, you, you held your breath and waited to see what happens. And as Joe Lorig mentioned last week, his special teams production isn't jumping off the page last year, the, the averages on returns. But when you realize how much overthinking the opponents had to do, as Lorig pointed out, it led to a great field position. Essentially, he said it gave them an extra first down on on a lot of these punts uh, because there was such an avoidance of getting the ball in his hands that uh, it phased out punters that, and, and sent their kicks awry or just led them to to kind of get it out of bounds. And, and it was a huge impact, even when it wasn't necessarily showing up in the stat sheet from what KJ Hamler could do for you. Well, he's he's a legitimate game changer, and that's something that you know this roster has lacked in the last couple of years. You look at some other big time schools that are going to the playoff, and they have these guys at, at multiple spots. And you know, there's only a handful of those, uh, you know, on the Penn State roster. Obviously, uh, Micah Parsons and Pat Fryermuth are a couple of those guys. Journey Brown, I think, can be one of those guys. Um, so, I mean, it's uh, you, you want to have as many of those uh, those players as possible. And right now, you know, there's not a ton, and they're they're not really lining up you know aligning uh eligibility and things like that obviously you didn't expect hamler when you redshirted him to be two years and out after that uh but uh that's that's part of the game um you know like i said i think it was a good decision based on what he had to work with don't think he was going you know to to devault himself into the top 20 or anything like that so um you know i think it's a good landing spot uh, for both those guys and and moving on a really good landing spot for for john reed with with bill o'brien now uh, that's uh you know, it's a little earlier than I had him projected. I talked to some folks, uh, you know, in the Penn State program who thought he was going to go in the fourth round. I, I kind of chickened out. You guys went fourth round. I went fifth round. And I think that was my biggest miss uh, in this draft. But, uh, 
round four, pick 35 to the Houston Texans, number 141 overall. John Reed's going to be a nickel corner for Bill O'Brien. And, you know, like I said, he's he's a good one in man coverage. And I think he's got a, a legitimate shot to, to to play right away for those guys. Might be my, my favorite outcome following this draft was seeing John Reed go that high. I actually had him going pick seven of round four. So I was a bit too optimistic on his outlook. I had him going to the Panthers, but tell you what, for, for, for a, a guy who went through what he went through, you know, coming in hot in his college career, starting a lot early, being a big part of that uh, conference championship run in 2016, and then all come crashing down and not really being himself for a period of two years. And, and we know off the field, he did a lot of great things internships with big time companies a guy who was a you know a guru in the film room among these guys but you didn't really see him get his feet back underneath him until this past fall it was great to see game to game basis um, you know, it wasn't always splashy, but it was quite consistent in a secondary that lacked a lot of consistency over the course of the year, especially towards the end. Um, and I think with John Reed going to Houston Texans, it's, you know, it's finally off the schneid with Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien, I think, had made just about 40 draft picks uh, since heading to Houston uh, back in the winter of 2014, had never drafted a Penn State player Picks one here, ends up signing another, as we'll get to via undrafted free agency. And as you noted, Sean, you know it's always cool when you have these connections. It's it's a rarity when you talk about an NFL head coach and draft pick. But these guys, you know, you go back seven, eight years ago. We're talking about the origins of the recruiting process that ultimately led John Reed to Happy Valley for five years. I wrote it in a story. I talked to a former staffer at one point about camp performances, and he said. You know, he had three at the top of his list, and and one of those was John Reed. And back in 2013, he came to a camp in late June. Uh, still, you know, he was on the radar, but I think he had a Penn State offer at that point. But he he was on the radar for a little while because he had been on the radar since he was a freshman. Um, but uh, yeah, came and just put in a ridiculous performance as a defensive back. And you know, unfortunately for us, it was one of the ones that was close to the media. Uh, I think it was a a multi day camp, if I if I recall correctly. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was a heck of a performance. Obviously, that stuck. And and like I said in the in the story, one of those other top three performances in camp was Will Fuller, who's a, a wide receiver that uh, Bill O'Brien drafted pretty early. So. Obviously, his time spent in college evaluating players, some of that stuck and some of that uh, he took with him to Houston. John Reed was one of those guys that he's always been impressed by. I know he's, uh, you know, I think he thinks a lot of him personally as well. So, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, that that connection certainly paid off. It's a good pick. It's a good landing spot for him. They do a lot of uh, that nickel corner, and that's where he's going to have to make his money, play special teams too for them as well. And, you know, he's a he's a heady football player. I had him going to the Patriots, so seeing him going to one of the, the Bill Belichick uh, coaching tree offspring, uh, you know, it kind of makes sense. And a uh, quick reminder, although he was a, a major star at St. Joe's Prep in Philly, this is a South Jersey guy from Mount Laurel and John Reed. So Had to get that one in there. Yeah. Absolutely have to when you can. Uh, moving on to another defender. A, a couple more defenders came off the board there on day three. It was a busy Saturday afternoon uh, for coverage on lines 24-7. And Cam Brown to the New York Giants. It wasn't Yitor Gross Matos who reunited with Sean Spencer and a few guys on that roster. But uh, a little bit later, it was Cam Brown. Uh, Saquon Barkley, Grant Haley, Austin Johnson, who signed there as a free agent this offseason. And now Cam Brown, four Penn State uh, alums, uh, former teammates 
it's all now in the Meadowlands along with Sean Spencer. So they've got something cooking there for Penn State fans. Uh, and also, you know, Cam Brown, he's a guy who who was, you know, always going to, to tease with that those physical measurements, got on the field early. Uh, you know, first extensive action really was on the road during a blowout loss at Michigan in 2016, the last loss before they went on that Big Ten title run. Um, a lot of injuries early. The linebacker room certainly looks a lot different for Cam Brown leaving campus than it did when he got to campus in 2016, but uh, he turns it into a pick 183 in round six round six with the Giants, and, and I think Sean uh, Sean Spencer mentioned this. Oh, I'm sorry, Brent, pa- Brent Pry mentioned this after the draft and saying, you know, Cam Brown's the guy that we felt we, we could play at all three linebacker spots, and at certain points we did and we had to, uh, and certainly the versatility was the key word when everybody was assessing Cam Brown uh, among the New York Giants beat reporters. I got a, some reach out from some of those guys and, and wanted to know more about him and, and what they had heard about him, and uh, they're wondering if, oh, can he get bigger? Can he play defensive end? And I said, you know, can he get bigger? was pretty much the theme of Cam Brown's career, I feel like, at Penn State. What's this kid going to end up looking like physically? And You look back at some of those pictures from 2016, I was doing an image search for him getting up to the draft just to have some pictures ready. He was quite skinny before. I I mean, he was skinny towards the end, uh, but man, you look back at those freshman year photos, this kid was, was scrawny. Unbelievably skinny. I mean, it, you look at you look at him now, and you think he's skinny. Now, granted, he's got more abs than I could ever dream of. But uh, it's uh, one. I guess we could we could label it as. But uh, I mean, it's uh, it, it's pretty remarkable. You know how far he's come, even though he doesn't look like he's come that far. I guess that doesn't really make a ton of sense. But uh, yeah, it's a defensive end. I don't know that that's going to work. I mean, maybe as a three four outside linebacker down the road or something like that. He's got the athleticism. He's got. Uh, he, you know, he's he's got a lot of things that that those scouts covet, and like I said, those scouts are cocky, man. They think they can turn anybody into anything, and I think Cam Brown's a great example of that. Uh, it's just, uh, it, it's funny. He's he's really the last of the, the the have to play linebackers that came through Penn State after the sanctions. You had you know Jake Cooper and Manny Bowen and Cam Brown, guys that all burned their red shirts. Uh, you know, coming through here, and now that you know you've got the opportunity to redshirt a Lance Dixon, or, or you know, or it's, it's crazy how that room has sort of flipped in the last couple of years. Nice to have a Micah Parsons in there to, to sort of break the curve, but uh, yeah, it's a, they've come a long way at that position, and you know, Cam Brown. I know he's kind of much maligned, missed a bunch of tackles for Penn State during his career and, you know, and things like that. But, you know, for him to be, um, I guess, uh, a mainstay in that says a lot about the player that he was and then and the player that I think that should be remembered. Career best 72 tackles last year when he was a team captain, more than 50 games played in a Penn State uniform, uh, third team all Big Ten in 2019. Both of those apply to Robert Windsor. More than 50 games played, uh, third team selection in the conference in 2019. And uh, very soon after Cam Brown, not long after, Brown goes 183 in round six. Windsor goes 193 in round six. He's going to the Indianapolis Colts. Um, and we've said this before, you know, a guy who obviously exceeded expectations uh, coming to campus as number 25 in a 25-man class when you look at those 24-7 sports rankings. All he did was go and start 25 games these past couple of seasons. Uh, his pass rush numbers uh, did not really live up to what you thought they might be. As a senior, he did end his career with a sack in the Cotton Bowl, which I know Sean Spencer was excited about, but a player who, you know, in in, uh, in his career after redshirting as a freshman, five years on campus, 20 tackles for loss, 14 sacks. You'll take that at a number 25 out of 25. 
that's a development uh, developmental win right there for Penn State to get him into the draft uh, at, at any point, really. Um, so, I mean, I'm uh, it's, it's been cool to watch, uh, and it's funny because based on personal expectations for Robert Windsor, he he thinks he went too low, but that's uh, that's just the mindset that he has. That'll keep him He's in the d- league. That could keep him in the league. That mindset, right? There you there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, you look back to his freshman year, a redshirt freshman year, and there were some flashes there. And I talked to some people in the program at that point and said, "This kid's going to be a draft pick." And you know, it really didn't make a ton of sense. He was playing obviously behind a lot of talent at that point. Um, but uh, developed into a, a consistent starter, um, you know, had the hiccup last year for the Citrus Bowl. Would have been nice to have him, but, uh, you know, has been fairly consistent, had that big Iowa game this year. I mean, just, uh, you know, just kind of a nose to the grindstone. You know, you're, you're leaning on cliches here. You're going to pull out the lunch pail at some point with Robert Windsor, but, uh, you know, he's a tough Midwestern kid and he lands in a in a tough Midwestern city. So we'll see, uh, you know, we're at, uh, we'll see what, uh, what, what comes of his career. I know some people in Indy were, were pretty pleased to land him at that spot based on what they saw from him in the Big Ten. Well, so five draft picks off the board, ultimately. Uh, we'll get to those undrafted free agents in just a moment. But uh, last couple of years, six coming off the board each year. That had tied the high mark uh, since way back in 1996 when Penn State produced 10 draft picks. And our very own Mark Brennan, it was digging through the archives. They go all the way back to, to throughout the entire draft history. You can check out when all 561 Penn State players have come off the board up on 24-7 Sports because we had this great resource there. And uh, again, the, the recruit rankings don't extend all the way back there, but the draft history does. And this is the first time Mark told us, I'll take his word for it, that Penn State has produced five or more uh, players in a draft three years in a row in modern history. So notable for Penn State. I, I think they're going to be in good spot to extend that streak next year and uh, and build upon the five, six, maybe exceed that. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but the undrafted free agents, you end up with six by Sunday morning. You wake up Sunday morning, you got 11 new Penn State players into the NFL on rosters. And look, we've seen this path work out in the past for Penn State. Cam Wake is and Robbie Gould are, are, are prime examples because they have uh, you know, 12, 13, 14 years in the league, very successful, made a lot of money out of it. But more recently, uh, guys like Jason Cabinda, uh, Grant Haley, uh, making their mark as undrafted free agents coming into the league and ending up in regular season action on rosters last year. And, and right now, we'll start with, with Steven Gonzalez. We talked about the games played for guys like Windsor and Reed and Brown. How about Steven Gonzalez? He's the only player who, who started every game on offense from 2017 through 2019. Um, it was involved in that Big Ten championship run, started late in the year that year, and by the end of his career, ends up being the only offensive lineman out of the Nittany Lions program since John Urschel to receive first or second team all-conference status. He was a second team consensus pick in the conference last year. Uh, that, I think, is notable. Uh, and also, you know, this is a guy I think people are going to say, well, did he m- make a mistake coming back? He didn't get drafted. I thought the whole point was for him to come back and build up his draft stock. Um, look, I-, I don't know how much there w- was room to grow if he was going to push in- into the fifth, sixth round, but I'm pretty sure he was the first guy that we heard get signed. And at his position, offensive guard, um, a guy who has this kind of experience in the Big Ten uh, uh, with the Arizona Cardinals, he's going to get a chance to earn a roster spot. And, and I think it seemed like he was a priority. It's hard to tell to scramble with this undrafted free agency, but like I don't even remember the draft really ending before that news surfaced. So clearly he was a quick call for the Cardinals. Yeah, it was probably a quick call for a lot of teams. He's got a ton of experience. He's got some size, uh, you know, ready to plug in their type size. So 
we'll see where he goes. Like I said, he's he's in pretty good shape compared to uh, where he was at, uh, at during some points in his Penn State career. So uh, be interesting to see if he can stick. Obviously, the Cardinals' offensive line could use all the help they could get. So uh, be interesting to see if if he can hang around. I think it's a good spot for him, and you know I'm sure he's excited to get going. Like uh, like Windsor, I mean th- those are guys that think that thought they should have been higher on the board, and you know that's uh, it's testament to their uh, I guess their. Uh, perception and their work ethic and everything like that but uh you know sometimes it just doesn't fall that way i don't think anybody we, nobody had him drafted uh, if, if i recall correctly so um the guy that that i did have getting drafted uh, nick bowers uh, not too long later went to the las vegas raiders and like i tweeted when i think nick bowers i obviously think las vegas because that's you know catanning to las vegas is is certainly a trip that that, that many people have taken uh, it's just a funny landing spot uh it's good Good uh, marketing for Tyler Bowen because he's got the aces, and now naturally he's in Las Vegas. So that's uh, that's a good landing spot for him. I think he can. I think he can make a team. I mean, I I, I was confident, uh, or not confident, but I was confident he was a draftable player. Again, this spring kind of wrecked it for a lot of guys. I think Nick Bowers was was right near the top of that list. Uh, in terms of Penn State guys, but I think he's talented enough to make a roster even without the college, the, the ton of college production. And I think uh, John Gruden will be will be happy when when Nick Bowers gets to Las Vegas. Yep. When you think of Sin City, you think of Nick Bowers and Jason Witten hanging out uh, because that's who he will be with quite a bit in that positional room. Jason Witten moved on from the Dallas Cowboys, probably a move that, that went under the radar for some this year after a great career with the Cowboys. Future NFL Hall of Famer, top five all time in catches. Really good guy to, to share a positional room with entering the league, especially because you figure Jason Witten may be one and done with the Raiders before he retires once again. Um, and Bowers, we've talked about it. He's a, he's, a, he's a favorite on this podcast, the guy that I was very tempted to place somewhere in the seventh round. I resisted that urge ultimately, uh, and I thought you may be right and Mark might be, might be right with, with that pick. Didn't happen, but he was off the board very quickly among these undrafted free agents. And you know, the, not a huge stat sheet coming out of Penn State, but you know, you, you think at a lot of programs where Pat Fryermuth isn't in the mix, probably would have been a more productive player. He's a guy who is a very willing blocker, and, and he's not going to be, again, a fish out of water if he's not getting pass targets he'll do what he needs to do I like his chances to stick and 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 I you know he seems like a Gruden grinder if you know what I mean so we'll see what happens there uh Garrett Taylor was the uh, defensive player that I saw first uh come off among the undrafted free agents again it was a bit of a scramble so I could be wrong there but another guy who played 50 plus games in a Nittany Lions uniform 169 total tackles a career best 81 in 2019 to go with four interceptions in his career Bills sign him. Um, he's the second member of the Penn State starting secondary to end up with an NFL franchise on Saturday. And uh, this is a guy that I, you know, I think you're looking for an upgrade at safety overall this year. And, and uh, you know, there's a reason that Garrett Tiller didn't get drafted, but he's going to need to lean on uh, the ability to impact special teams to make an NFL roster, whether it's the Bills or, or a different landing spot. Uh, as as August gets here and, and, and teams, you know, mess around with the back end of their personnel. But uh, Garrett Taylor played a lot of football for Penn State and he'll get his shot up in uh, Buffalo. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm, you know, obviously not t- tremendously confident he sticks, but he's an athletic kid. He's, uh, you know, he, he made some plays at times uh, this year. So, you know, he, he, he I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him to get the opportunity in Buffalo. Don't see him being on that roster, uh, you know, when that when that team opens, whenever they do open. But, uh, you know, one of the most intriguing ones moving on, Blake Gillikin goes to the Saints. Obviously, he could not quit Phil Galliano, uh, who's the assistant special teams coach uh, for New Orleans. Uh, a lot of a lot of former Penn State players going to New Orleans these days. But uh, 
Blake Gilligan is going to be a tough, uh, tough sledding for him to make that team. Uh, obviously, a very talented punter ahead of them, or excuse me, ahead of him. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's so difficult to break through as a punter, and it's a you know sometimes it's about going and learning from some guys and going from you know seeing the right guys in, in preseason and things like that. Uh, there's just not a ton of jobs out there, and it's a it's an elite fraternity that's it's sort of like uh, sort of like head coaches. You know, it's tough to break in. And then they recycle them for for a long, long time. So you know, hopefully, we can see Blake Gilligan take the route that that a Sam Ficken got uh, as a kicker. Obviously, Sam, you know, is with the Jets now. So it's uh, you know, it's it, it's been it, it's so it's so different than you know Stephen Gonzalez breaking in as a Cardinal or or Nick Bowers making the team. You know, it's just the, the, it's just such an elite fraternity. It's so tough to explain, um, but uh, it's an uphill climb there. I think it's more about showcasing yourself for the next stop than it is about uh, you know actually making a team like the, the Saints. Yeah, these specialist jobs are hard to come by across the league. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, two-time team captain, I think it's time to bring the mullet back. In New Orleans seems like the, the perfect place to do that. Um, as you said, it, it's a bit of a reunion down there in New Orleans. Him, Tommy Stevens, and Jawan Johnson. How about this? Tommy Stevens gets drafted. Shea Patterson does not. Uh, by the way, as of now, unless I miss something, Shea Patterson has not signed with any NFL franchise, uh, which is that says something for a Michigan team that I think produced nine, ten draft picks that their quarterback has picks. not yet been signed. So ten draft picks tied tied with Ohio State for second. If only they had a tiebreaker or something that they could play to uh, to see which team had more talent. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty fascinating right there. Yeah, that's a big one. And so, and Jawan Johnson ends up there as an undrafted free agent. So some familiarity there. And of course, they signed Jameis Winston. So that overshadows things a bit. Uh, and we've mentioned this several times with Blake Gilligan. Hey, if it doesn't work out with the punny thing, yeah, you know, he's got that kinesiology degree out of the Schreier Honors College. And he's a guy who wants to become an orthopedic surgeon. Franklin has stated several times, would love to see him end up uh, back on the Penn State staff uh, as a doctor. So we'll see where it goes with Blake Gilkin on and off the field. Really enjoyed covering him. Always w- was a great interview uh, moving to, moving ahead uh, now to Jan Johnson, who was a, an awesome story. Uh, one of the more unique walk-on stories you'll find uh, across college football because, you know, he contributed to a... Uh, a national championship run for the wrestling program. It's a guy who grew up with two former Penn State athletes. His parents, you know, really idolized the program as a kid. Got here, ends up finding a role very quick, pretty quickly on the practice field. It plays a little on offense, ends up at linebacker, and surprised some people when you know, we're all focusing on this Manny Bowen situation a couple summers ago. He ends up taking over at middle linebacker, and he holds on to that job for two years. He obviously seeded a significant amount of snaps, especially uh, last year to, to uh, Ellis Brooks, who is the projected starter there for 2020, but started 26 consecutive games, Sean. You covered him from the start here, uh, and a nice walk-on story to, to begin, but it ended up being a lot more than that. Yeah, he was a MAC commitment uh, as a high school player and then switched to Penn State to walk on, so obviously a good story there. Uh, underrated athleticism, I think a lot of people are going to look at that tape and say, you know, he just never could get to the ball as fast as some of the other guys, and when you're playing beside Micah Parsons, that's not uh, a huge surprise, but uh, yeah, I mean, he, he he had a good career at Penn State, and I was, I was happy to see him make some plays last season. Uh, had a couple of interceptions, I believe. So uh, for him to get a chance at the pro, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where he he was a walk on. You know, back to the cliches: don't underestimate him. He's been underestimated for a while, and you know he's he, he's got a pro contract. So 
really proud of Jan Johnson. Uh, he's come a long way, and you know he's always uh, he's always been a, had a quiet confidence, a really nice kid, and and those are the kids you got you got to root for. So uh, happy for Jan Johnson to go to the Texans. Bill O'Brien at some point is going to label him as a tough Pennsylvania kid if he gets asked about him. So can't wait to hear that. And then finally, uh, Dan Chisena late that night sign with the Vikings. Get your uh, get your Ethan Kilmore comparisons ready because that's how he's going to have to make this team is is fully on special teams. And you know I think he can do it. He's fit physically. I think he can do it. Um, you know obviously the the cards are kind of stacked against him in the, in that aspect. And and the Vikings drafted one or two wide receivers uh, uh, you know ahead of him. So. We'll see what happens with Dan Chisena, but uh, you can't teach that speed. And it's funny because you look at Chisena and you think he's probably, you know, with that speed, 5'11", 6 foot. He's, he's 6'3", 205 pounder. He can really run. So be a gunner, be anything that you ask him to be. And, you know, he's going to try and do that. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to see him stick. I, you know, I don't think the odds are great, but I'd love to see him stick. And it's going to happen on special teams. Absolutely. And, and I tell you what, I think he was a bit overlooked because everyone was focused on what he could do at wide receiver. What he did on special teams pretty consistent. Uh, I know I know I think there was a big halo penalty if I recall that was quite questionable over the course of the 2019 season, but he was a guy who always seemed to end up in in the face of the return man um on, on punk coverage and we'll find out about him, but you and I you know we both I said this on Friday, we both put more stock in his chances to end up, end up on an NFL roster. Uh, you with Bowers in the mix put him as the number 4 guy on this list. I had him at number 3 with Bowers on top and Gonzalez ahead of him in terms of guys who uh, among undrafted free agents could end up on a 2020 active roster. So uh, considering is, is what that he how actually, we were ranking them, oh, how, <laughs> I, I just <laughs> I just threw him down there. So no, but I always put a punter. I was oh. gonna put a punter at the top. So um, yeah, that's kind of how I went with that. But uh, it, it doesn't matter because obviously I won the competition, so, and that's all that matters. And you won it blindly, apparently. So actually, there was no points for undrafted free agents. So uh, that makes me feel a little bit. Better. And we did we did include Greg Pickle of Penn Live on it this year, and gotta say, uh, you fourth, know, we went three for three. Uh, yeah, three for three ahead of Greg. So, uh, you know, not not saying anything, but also not not saying anything. So, but thanks to thanks to Greg for joining. He's obviously been a longtime friend of the site. Uh, used to work for Mark over at Fight on State. So, uh, yeah, we we were happy to add him to the mix, and you know, happy to beat him this year. The trophy stays in State College, specifically, it stays at, at your place. Last year, I hooked you up with a six pack of beer. Um, not sure when I'll see you next, Sean. So, uh, and and I think Mark owes it to you this time. So. We'll get you a few beers at the end of the day. I don't think you're lacking though uh, over at the homestead right now for I, brews. I, I told you, I told you guys, <laughs> I'm supporting, an, I'm supporting every local brewery basically by myself uh, right now. So it's uh, it's tough, but I think I'm okay on on my beer on my fridge selection. You're the right man for the job. Um, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. We'll come back with some recruiting news, also a look ahead of the 2021 NFL draft. Some early projections are out, including those from CBS and 24/7 Sports. Put it this way, they look pretty darn good for Micah Parsons and Pat Fryermuth. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. Uh, continuing the theme of the draft industry, it is always about looking forward. And that is exactly what everybody was doing Sunday into Monday with their 2021 mocks out in full force. And it is a bit overwhelming. And you look at these things a year later and you say, wow, they thought this guy was going to be a top 10 pick or wow, this guy was not on anybody's radar. Case in point, that Joe Burrow guy who ended up the number one pick. He wasn't even uh, considered draftable by some analysts this time last year. So a lot can go down. But one thing that we're not so surprised by is Micah Parsons landing up high on a lot of these lists. Mel Kuyper has him in his top five. Uh, You see him in the top 10 for both CBS projection of the mock draft and 24-7 sports. Uh, 24-7 sports has him going, I think it was number five or number six to the New York Giants. Wouldn't that be something if Parsons and Saquon reunite uh, up there in in the largest media market in the the sports world? Uh, But let's put it this way, Sean. Micah Parsons came in as the talk of the town when he signed. He's going to essentially leave, barring anything unforeseen, as the talk of this draft class. And he's lived up to, if not exceeded expectations. And I wasn't sure I would ever say Micah Parsons was going to exceed expectations because my first several months on this beat was pretty much centered around people wanting to know what was up with Micah Parsons and was he going to come back to the class and how good was he. Turns out he's very special and turns out NFL scouts are very aware of this. Well, it, the question how good was he has never been a question. I mean, that's that's obviously been, you know, sort of aside from from all that stuff that he went through as a recruit. The, the question about his physical talent was never, never a question whatsoever. Number five in the composite, number five overall on 24-7 sports. And I think he is projected to number five for the Giants next year. So yep. uh, no question about that whatsoever. Um, but yeah, he's he's obviously very special. Um, it's, it's going to be, you know, I, I just, it's so fascinating what's going to happen. You know, you're not sure what's going to happen with the season and, you know, if they move it to the spring, what happens with the draft and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, there's so many things. I, I just want to see Michael Parsons play at Penn State again. I mean, and, and I don't think it's going out on a limb and saying that, that, that might be in jeopardy. So it's crazy to think about that's where we're at, but, uh, yeah, next year, whenever that draft may be, which is slated to be in April of, uh, of 2021, you know, Micah Parsons can be very early off the board. And that's, uh, you know, there's been times in the past where we've talked about guys that, you know, we really thought like Eter, you know, was was going to go. We really, you know, we knew Saquon was going to go, but there's still some people that clung to hope that that they would be back. Uh, I don't think you can do that at all with with Micah Parsons. So, um, and that's uh, that's just one of the unfortunate realities, uh, you know, with, with college football and the draft and everything like that. But Hey, if you're a projected top five pick, I mean, that's you don't even think twice about it. In, fr- in fact, Franklin should pack his bags for him. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens. By the way, switching, this is probably the last time I'm going to get to talk about it. Really, really good weekend for the industry. The uh, Stars Don't Matter crew on Twitter, of course, clung to Joe Burrow being a three-star on Rivals and Justin Jefferson being unrated by ESPN. Uh, obviously, they cling to the lowest ranking and, and just, just go with it. Um, but really good uh, weekend for our industry. The numbers with the five-star, the four-star. And of course, if you bring the statistics into it with uh, with the math and all that kind of stuff, really good weekend. Uh, you know, to, to 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 showcase what we do actually has some credence to it. Oh, but Sean, what about all those 
uh, three star picks. There was way more three stars that went in the draft than five stars. What are you talking I, about, man? I saw a graphic, and it's just it's amazing how you can make these numbers anything you want. But I saw a graphic about number one overall pick. I think it was Bleacher Report, your former uh, stomping grounds. Ah, yes. Number one overall picks in the uh, in the Hall of Fame versus undrafted free agent picks in the Hall of Fame. And believe it or not, there were more undrafted free agent picks than number one overall picks in the draft, which is just what. what like I, I mean, I understand that we're trying to, to to make everybody believe that they can be everything they they can, and I you know I hope these guys that are unrated and do you know kid that played at uh, the D two college that got drafted by the Patriots that's fantastic. I love it. I mean, it's great. But I mean, what are we doing with these? Just skewing these numbers to 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 try to make people look bad. It's just uh, it's really funny to to see, and it's really funny to uh, to not take into account. And it's really great. I saw a graphic by Fox Sports that basically said you don't have to be ranked to make it. <laughs> with a big picture of Chase Young, I think the number two <laughs> overall prospect in his class, listing all the fi- you know listing the number of five stars that made it, and the you know no 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 word about the percentages that made it because it's uh you know it's uh it's it's pretty crazy when you get into you know how accurate these things end up being even if they don't seem it at the time. So a lot of talent out there, and like I said, I'm happy for everybody that gets drafted. It's a really cool thing. Even the guys that you know, even Jan Johnson and and Garrett Taylor signing to 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 the NFL teams as undrafted free agents. It's it's fantastic. I love it, but. Um, you know, it's it, it's been pretty cool to see the evolution of what we've done um, because it, it's it's still you know there's still a lot of people that like to cling to Paul Puzlesny as a three star you know to uh, 16 years ago. So I mean it's uh, it's some crazy crazy stuff and and if you don't believe in it then that's fine. You're gonna do what you can. You're gonna you know use the stats that you can to not believe in it. But uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job and I think the draft is uh, you know it's we're gonna pat ourselves on the back for it. Yeah, there, there. I wrote a long feature a few years back before I was with Twenty Four Seven Sports about Aaron Rodgers and his journey to the NFL. That one was zero offers coming out of high school, one to a junior college, had great grades, but just had to try to get on the map. You know, but that was because he was like, as a junior, he was like five foot eight, hundred and thirty pounds, soaking wet. There's always a story for why these guys weren't necessarily on the radar, and sometimes you just don't see guys, or you, or you miss on a guy, quite frankly. But you look at the work that that our team here to continue tooting our own horn at twenty four seven sports. The recruiting network that we have across the country, you know, they, they prove their value on a daily basis to us. And I think they get a chance to really showcase that to the entire, you know, world of football fans on draft day when they break down the numbers. And this is a good year to break down the numbers for the group. And by the way, uh, I think Barton Simmons tweeted out that, that our next, uh, 2021, uh, rankings update is going to be coming in mid May. So stay tuned for that. We'll see where it shakes out. And, and obviously, these guys are finding a new way to navigate through the system without camps. And, and usually, we've got three, four guys at every single camp right there on the sidelines talking to kids, evaluating them, talking to the camp coaches. Can't do that right now, but there's other methods, and, and they're putting in that work in different ways uh, to assess this next class that in four years down the line, we're going to be talking about them as the pros. And, and to your point about Jan Johnson, Garrett Taylor, even guys that we don't anticipate may end up playing in NFL games, uh, You know, they're going to certainly be facing an uphill battle. To get that phone call on, on Saturday night, you know, right after the draft ends and say, we want you to join our NFL franchise, it's a dream come true. I mean, you've got a foot in the door in an NFL facility 
Now you, now it's up to you. And, and, and the money's not going to be great up front. You're not signing a, you know, a multi-million dollar signing bonus that, that some of these guys are getting near the top, but it's a foot in the door to the NFL. And what more can you ask for as a kid who grew up with those kind of aspirations? Who didn't, you know, if you picked up a football or played any kind of organized football, who didn't at least let themselves dream for a little bit about reaching this level? So congratulations to everybody. Again, 11 former Penn State players from the 2019 roster. Now have the NFL logo attached to them. We'll see where it takes them uh, in the in the months ahead. And I know they're all anxious to get to those team facilities. Again, things are not normal right now, and, and that's part of it. It's going to be a different transition into the NFL. But rest assured, their, their new employers will be staying in constant contact with them uh, as they get ready to make this leap. Um, looking ahead again as well to the 2021 NFL Draft, I know we veered off a little bit because talking about Micah Parsons in the rankings, Pat Fryermuth, uh, another player who was highly evaluated coming out of high school, uh, top 10 tight end positional talent. And now you're looking at people think the top tight end on the 2021 draft board. I mean, shoot, you look at how it turned out for the 2020 draft class. Cole Komet was the first guy off the board out of Notre Dame uh, going to the Chicago Bears at pick 43. You know, I think uh, CBS even noted they, they said Fryermuth may have been the top prospect in the 2020 tight end draft class, and he wanted to stay on campus. He told us he wasn't ready to go uh, live that kind of independent lifestyle, and he didn't feel like he was finished with, with what he has going on in Happy Valley. We've seen him for a couple of years. He took the bull by the horns first September of his first year and, and, and turned a position that maybe looked like a void into a position of strength. And that has been maintained into 2020. Hope, just like Parsons, that we get another full year to watch Pat, but I certainly wouldn't expect him to make the same decision again. As long as this kid is healthy, there is a lot of incentive for him to go be in the NFL after his junior year at Penn State. And you know the proof is here. Uh, both CBS, both 24-7 sports have him as the first tight end off the board. Uh, I believe in the case of CBS, he's the only tight end off the board in the first round. And this is a position that does not produce many first round picks. I think the number is fewer than a dozen in the past nine years uh, in terms of tight ends going round one. So when you see Pat mentioned in that kind of light, Gives you a good indication of, you know, all all things aside with the Mackey Award Committee, where this kid stands as a national figure. I don't I don't think there's any question, and, and obviously the odds are stacked against you as a tight end to be, you know, you, you're going to use a first round pick on a tight end. It's probably going to be late in that round, which you got teams trading up. You got, you know, got a ton of stuff. I love the, the back of the first round, by the way. There's so many things that can happen. Obviously, this year probably a little bit more normal than anything uh, with with the circumstances around the draft. But uh, yeah, the thing about Pat, and and I keep going back to it. I do think he's the best tight end in the country. I think he's fantastic. He's just not the athletic freak that some of these guys that have been drafted in the first round are. And I think that's going to, you know, hold him to the back half of that first round or early in the second round or something like that, because phenomenal player, uh, tremendously productive. I think he'd be a really good pro, um, but he's not going to get in there and run a four, three for you or anything like that. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, Kyle Pitts, I think I saw mocked to another team at, late in the first round. We'll, we'll see what happens with that position, but yeah, fully expecting to be at the top of that position at this time next year. And I agree with you. I don't know that we're going to see him make the same decision where he's going to stick around for the love of the game and, and stay another year in college. Speaking of tight ends, got to love when a transition works out as we get into a little bit of recruiting here. Uh, Moliki Matavao out of uh, Liberty High School in Henderson, Nevada, one of those uh, four-star players that we've talked about at the tight end position. There's a bunch of them bouncing around right now for Penn State as they look to fill that spot in the 2021 class. Uh, Nick Elksness coming out of the class uh, just about two months ago. 
Uh, Matavayo puts out a top group. Uh, he calls them his finalists. So Penn State is in that mix. Uh, six schools he, he announced on Sunday, Sean. Um, and, and you're feeling, you know, cautiously optimistic. It, I don't know how to phrase it. You, you seem to think that Penn State's in a good spot, which is saying something because he wasn't able to make that trip to campus because of the coronavirus situation. He was supposed to already have checked out campus. And when you're talking about a young man from Nevada, not exactly just around the corner. So they're going to try to make that work. But uh, tight end is a spot that we think they're going to end up with a good player and, and, and count Montevallo among potential players who could fill that role. You, you certainly have some good options there all across the country, but Matavayo, uh been very receptive to what Penn State has said. Um, you know, just obviously, you know, you put out what the production that they've had over the last couple of tight ends, and and it certainly helps. So, uh, I, you know, he was supposed to visit in late March unofficially, probably come back for an official visit in June. I think if that first visit happens, it sets some wheels in motion for some things to happen in June. Unfortunately, I mean, this is the circumstance that you're dealt. Um, you know, Georgia's still in there. He's been to some other schools, never been to Penn State. So I think that's kind of what's holding that back right now. But I think if he makes that trip in March, all of a sudden it's a different recruitment. So, uh, you know, you can't throw the crystal ball in or anything like that without him visiting campus. But, uh, you know, kid loves Penn State. He loves what they've been able to do. Um, it, it'll be very interesting. I wrote an essay on Friday talking about the, the direction that this class may go because everybody's sort of sitting, waiting back, uh, sitting back, waiting for that uh, end of the May dead period, what, what's going to happen with that dead period, because it's going to be so vital in shaping this class. Mataveo's not going to be able to get out to Penn State until June at the earliest, and honestly, don't really think it's going to you know, happen in June or July or anything like that either. So um, it, it's just one of those ones that you're kind of on the edge about, but in terms of legitimate interest, I, I think you can paint this as, as legitimate. Uh, like I said, Georgia's right in there. Georgia's also in there for for Brock Bowers out in California, who was able to make the visit in early March. So um, there's just a lot of things at play here with tight end. I'm, I'm still comfortable with where they stand right now. It's just about pushing one across the line. And without unofficial visits or official visits right now, there's really not a ton that you can do, especially for guys like Montevideo who have not been to campus. Those six finalists, Georgia, Penn State, Tennessee, and then a trio of Pac-12 programs, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon, the number one player out of Nevada, where Penn State signed their 2020 quarterback, Micah Bowens, six foot six, 240 pounds he checks in at, and he is the number four tight end in the 24-7 sports composite. We're going to finish with a couple recent crystal ball picks out of you, Sean. Whenever you make crystal ball pick, I pay attention. I think the board does too, from what I've noticed. Uh, and these ones are, are certainly notable that you came through with recently. Yeah, got one in state for Lonnie White, um, wide receiver. I, I feel pretty good with where Penn State stands coming out off of that offer. Obviously, he's had some other guys come through Michigan. Michigan State offered in one day in the course of a day last week, but uh, feel pretty good about where Penn State stands. They're recruiting him as an athlete, as a wide receiver mainly. Um, so you look at where he fits into things. I mean, you just throw on that tape, and obviously he's a quarterback at the high school level. Going to switch back out to uh, to wide receiver this year. Uh, we'll see where he ends up. Just a heck of an athlete that you'd like to have on your squad. And I like where Penn State stands. Uh, you know, I think part of that, uh, he's committed to Clemson, obviously, for baseball. But part of the reason, you know, he was, uh, you know, still shopping himself around, still going to camps and things like that is, you know, he, st- he had that itch to play football and he came to camp at Penn State, which tells me, you know, he, he has always had his eye on the Nittany Lions. 
Also, I think the really important one here, Christian Veyu finally took the plunge this week, uh, put in the crystal ball for Penn State. Um, still think that Duke's hanging around there, still wants to get to Clemson. It's one of those things. You're still waiting on that dead period and what's going to happen with uh, with potential visits. I know he wants to take more visits, but if that's not an option, maybe that's something that, that comes through and, and all of a sudden Penn State's sitting at the top of that list and he thinks he's close enough to making a decision. I think it would go a long way in this class. Guys like Dante Thornton, Caden Prather, uh, some of those other offensive targets that they're in on. Um, Christian Veyu, obviously, uh, you know, is not Caleb Williams, but uh, you know, it, it, that's not where we're at right now in terms of looking at this, uh, looking at this quarterback class. So we'll see where it goes. But I have Penn State, uh, you know, crystal balled for Veyu, and I think it's been a long time coming. I, you know, I thought about putting this one back in when Ricky Ronnie was still here. I mean, this is a kid that's always been very high on Penn State, been always been very high on the the package that they present, especially with him being from Canada, his family seeing him play, and all that all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you land a quarterback with these kind of offers, who is an international recruit during a global pandemic. Heck of a story for for bringing in your your quarterback for the class, and as you said tends to reverberate when you bring in a, a higher profile player at that position, what it can do in terms of the do- dominoes effect across this class. And we've seen this class grow in a hurry in April. Uh, April's coming to a close within the next few days. And, uh, you know, this is one that, that we'll keep tabs on. Crystal ball picks up from Sean. Uh, check out all the crystal ball picks for for all the different Penn State targets up at 24-7 Sports. Uh, always interesting to monitor which way the wind is blowing with some of these guys. Sean, uh, we, we came up to an hour. We talked about the uh, the the past of Penn State football. Good luck to those guys going on to Penn State and some potential future prospects here who could come in, make a difference on the program. Anything else to add before we uh, uh, put our heads together and figure out what we're going to talk about for the second episode on Friday? I, I almost caught you after that draft segment. We talked about Micah and Pat. Obviously, those are the names, but uh, Journey Brown's going to get some hype next year if he has the oh, yeah. year that people think he's going to have. Um, you know, obviously, the, the seniors, you got Michael Mennett's probably going to be drafted. Tariq Castro Field, Shaka Tony. Uh, we'll see where those safeties line up and, or excuse me, see where those safeties end up after a year. And Rashid Walker might be your highest pick on offense right now. In that, I include Fryermuth in that pit, in that mix. He's uh, he's draft eligible after next season. Uh, p- people don't like to talk about that, but uh, <laughs> man, he's a heck of a prospect, and I think he can certainly move up and be a first rounder eventually. Two redshirt sophomores, one right now on a more fast track, Rashid Walker. The other, it's only going to take some flashes. I don't think he needs to be a polished product by any means because of what he'll do with the NFL Combine. Jason Away, I, I, you know, I'm the the president of the fan club. I'm stunned by that. Yeah, <laughs> but he he doesn't even need to be a full time starter if he can flash. I'm just, it might make a lot more sense for him to come back as a redshirt junior. I'm not pushing him off in that direction, but he's the kind of kid that that we've seen teams take a chance on, maybe higher than you'd expect based on productivity at the college level, just because of what he could be at 25 years old. Something to keep in mind. Long way to go for all these guys. They got to get back to the college campus first before we can even talk about them taking a step forward. But yeah, a lot of promise on this Penn State roster. I think you're going to look at the next draft class a little bit more uh, buzz around that group to be sure, especially at the top compared to this group. Uh, you know, and I think we're going to see a first round pick. I think we're going to see that that defensive pick off the board in the first round. And obviously important that all these guys stay healthy. But the outlook is good to start. We have plenty of time, several months to talk about that group ahead. Hopefully soon we'll be 
talking about them uh, building their cases on the football field in a Penn State uniform. Uh, for now, we're going to step aside. Be sure to check out all of our coverage up on 247sports.com. Right now, uh, we have a deal going where you get free access to CBS All Access, our, our great partners uh, at CBS. Uh, you get a whole lot more than your normal uh, subscription deal. Details are up on the site, 247sports.com. Of course, you get VIP access to, to everything we're throwing your way. If you are a VIP member, I'd recommend, if you missed it, Sean put up a new S-Zone at the end of last week. A lot in there about the offensive line recruiting. It's been a, a topic of conversation throughout this 2021 cycle with a new coach. And speaking of offensive line, in about two hours, we're going to get Phil Troutwine on a Zoom conference call to talk about how things are going for him in year one on campus. So expect some feedback from that conversation coming your way in our Friday episode. We will talk to you then, of course, for now. On behalf of Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks for tuning in to the Lions 24-7 podcast.